Related, the podcast for people who really fancy a good story. I'm Emily. And I'm Rebecca. And today we are back, season four. How exciting. <laughs> and we are bringing you our tried and true season opener of <laughs> Quickfire Favourites. So we're going to be talking about all the things that we loved that you missed while we were away being fabulous and mysterious. Exactly. Um, I'm excited for this season. We've got a couple of special episodes planned and some plans for exciting things after this season, uh, which you will know when we know what they fully are. <laughs> we love a vague, <laughs> a vague plan. No, it is going to be exciting and you'll all be very excited about it, I'm very sure. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> So it's been a while Mm. and we have consumed much media Mm -hmm. in the interim. Yes. So I don't know about you, but my quickfire favourites are not going to be that quick. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think mine are too bad this time round, actually. (laughs) My first one's quite long (laughs) and then the others are quite short. Okay, so we're on a par then, so let's just dive right in. I don't know how to start when I'm not asking you what are you infatuated with. What's your yeah. first quick fire fit? It doesn't have the same ring to it, does no, it? Is that what we usually say? I don't know. Alright, just go. <laughs> What's your first thingy? My first thingy is Lore Olympus, Volume 1 by oh. Rachel Smythe, which I have brought to show you even though no one else can see it. It's so pretty. It's the sprayed edges. edges. They're very bisexual. They are. <laughs> so I actually have two graphic novels on my list this episode. Obviously, because there is such a visual medium, there's not much I can do for like a full episode. Like, mm. I can't really read from them. Like, I could, but it'd be a very short episode. Yeah. However, I've enjoyed two recently. The first two graphic novels I've actually read for fun rather than like through school or through uni. Hashtag she's not like other girls. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Laura Olympus is one of them. So, I'm going to tell you why I liked it. Yay. Um, so. Lore Olympus is originally a webtoon series, like an online comic, created by Rachel Smythe, which began in 2018. Um, so you can read it online. It's free. Um, I did not know that. Mm-hmm, yeah, so I did read the first chapter like a while ago. It was probably like 2019 or maybe like start of 2020 or something. But just to be like, I just don't like reading things online, mm. like on screens. So... But then not long after that, I heard that it was getting made into a physical book. So I was like, that's fine. I'll just wait and read it when it comes out in a physical book. So volume one is the first 25 chapters and volume two is out in July, I believe. And then I think volume three is out towards the end of the year. That's so Um, exciting. I love that like boom, boom, boom publication. Yeah. Well, there's like almost 200 chapters online. Oh, wow. So quite a few volumes to get through. And yeah, I imagine she'll do all of them because this one did quite well. Yeah. So, And yeah, I did actually, just this is a bit of a tangent, but I had a comment on a video I did on TikTok about this saying it was a waste of money because you can just read it for free online. I'm like, but the book's so pretty though. It is <laughs> like, so pretty. It's, it's like a really well-bound book. It's literally a piece of art is what I think. Um, Like, I look through it all the time. And I have the Illumicrate one, which is why I have the nice 
bisexual gradient <laughs> sprayed edges. Um, and so yeah, I just don't think it's a waste of money at all. And like I said, I don't like reading things on screens anyway. So like I'm more than happy to pay for a physical copy. And it's like a like, collector's item. Exactly. Kind of and you're like supporting her by giving her money. So, you know. But Away anyway. with your negativity. <laughs> but anyway, on to the actual what it is. <laughs> um, Laura Limbus is a Hades and Persephone inspired tale, but it's set in like a strange mix of the Greek god's pantheon and a glamorous city setting. Um, and it's filled with like gossip and parties. It's framed as a forbidden love story. So if you're like a diehard stickler for Persephone being like abducted, for it being like non-consensual, you probably won't like this version. But I always think the best way to approach a text like this isn't to like pick apart what bits are accurate or not. It's just like, you know, when we did our myth and folklore series, we were talking about how there is no original text. Yeah. That's like a thing when it comes to... Or, like, that's, that's not a thing when it comes to Greek mythology. Everything's a rewrite, everything's an adaptation, or, like, a different approach or perspective. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Smythe's done here, which I just think is cool. It's, like, Hades and Persephone told in a way that I've never seen before. But it's not just their myth that's drawn upon in Lower Olympus. There's an interlude in this volume of Eros and Psyche's story, oh. which is, like, one of my favorite favorite bits because the art in it is particularly amazing and yeah it's got this whole host of characters like Artemis is Persephone's roommate Aphrodite causes a bunch of drama (laughs) for oh Aphrodite for reasons um so just to kind of briefly explain the plot the story begins at a party it's Persephone's first time at a party in Olympus because her mother Demeter would never normally let her go. Mm-hmm. She's described as a helicopter parent. <laughs> no, that's so funny. <laughs> so Persephone gets drugged. I won't say why. That's also not a spoiler. And left in Hades' car. Again, I won't say why. So he takes her back to his like fancy apartment in the underworld right. <laughs> to take care of her. Like she just sleeps there. Nothing happens. They say their goodbyes uh, the next day. But then they can't stop thinking about each other and then like a bunch of mythology related plot <laughs> happens around this. <laughs> Apollo is an arsehole. <laughs> like, Apollo's always an arsehole. That yeah. is a constant in every text. Yeah, Hermes is hilarious. It's oh it's just good it's good times. <laughs> um so yeah, that is actually kinda all I have to say. Maybe that wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be um but it's just such a fun read i think you would really like it i think i would too i um, love a persephone retailer i know there's so much like just geeky stuff in it like she has a business card and it says cora on it <gasps> and she's like oh that's my old that's my old one that's my old one like i don't <laughs> go by that anymore i'm like that's so funny i love that um and yeah, so it's like filled with all the mythology, but it's really like pithy. <laughs> and then the art is just amazing. Each character has like their own colour. So like Persephone is pink, Hades is blue, Artemis is purple, Hera's yellow, Poseidon's green, like so on and so on. So it's just like visually so pleasing to look at. And yeah, yeah, it does. Laura Every Olympus. time I see people doing like cosplays and stuff, it looks so fun, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm like I want to paint myself pink. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the closest thing that I've seen to when people dress up as a Smurf. 
Yeah. Like, it's that level of commitment. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) What is your first favourite? My first favourite is one you're going to care about way less than I care about that. Okay. Um, (laughs) I just need to talk about The Witcher. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So, I watched The Witcher season one when it first came out, all in one go, the first week. And I had not been so excited about a TV show in a long time. Mm. And then the pandemic happened and (laughs) season two was delayed for a million years. So obviously when it came out, I was buzzing, didn't stop talking about it for weeks before it came out, didn't stop for weeks after it came out. (laughs) Oh, it's so good, guys. It's so good. So people that do care will know that the first season was introducing the three main characters. So you have Geralt the Witcher, Yennefer of Wernerberg, who's the mage, and Princess Cirilla of Sintra who's just a princess and then that first season was all about their backstories and it took place in three different timelines and then their lives started to intersect and you realise it was three different timelines and it was a whole thing and then you had this big epic destiny moment at the end of the season where there was a crisis and Geralt and Ciri Cirilla finally meet because they're bound by destiny Mm. but not romantically because Geralt's all about Yennefer anyway this season Finally, all my babies are in the same timeline. The time remained linear, so I was like, how are they going to make it? Like, what's going to drive the plot in this season? Because driving the plot last season was just getting them all together. Yeah. But, oh my god, they did it so well. <laughs> there was so much world building, because in this season we had politics between all the different kingdoms, which was very, like, I've not watched Game of Thrones, but I feel like it was very Game of Thronesy. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. But... Crucially, you got to see more of the characters as they deal with the fallout from the crisis that brings them all together. Right. So you get to see Geralt and Ciri bonding, which has very good grumpy versus sunshine energy. Because <laughs> Geralt is all like, Rrr. and Ciri is a teenager, and she's kind of framed as like his daughter, but she's not. It's mm. a whole complex thing. Yeah, she has this magical power that she doesn't fully understand, and they're bonded through lore called the law of surprise so he how do I explain this he saved her mother and her mother asked him to claim something as a prize and he's like trying to be all modest and be like nah I don't want anything Mm. so he just invokes the law of surprise um, which means destiny chooses the prize moments later the woman goes into labour Ciri is born she is the child of surprise so now she's like fleed her kingdom and he's being all dad because <laughs> he is her destiny dad. Um, so you've got all these like great scenes where she keeps getting into trouble because she's like a teenager and she wants to like explore this magic power that she has and she doesn't understand it and he just keeps having to save her from things and he's yeah. like, oh my god, would you stop? <laughs> um, but like eventually he begins to really love her and she really loves him and it's really wholesome. And the best thing about this dynamic is that he takes her in season two to the Witcher's Keep, which is just full of all these big burly mutant men like him. Mm. And the minute that he took her there, I was like, oh no, this is going to be creepy and bad because she's like this beautiful princess. I'm not going to like this storyline. But no, they just all collectively adopt her as their child. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so cute. I could watch, like, the Witcher's Keep reality show and just have that. Yeah. I was like, I never want this to end. So, yeah, all that stuff's happening. There's, like, big world stuff happening, too. Like, there's a creepy mother demon that's awakening from her imprisonment. 
the downtrodden elves are having a renaissance. It's a whole thing. Mm. Um, but crucially, again, at the end of season one, you're led to believe that the third point on our triangle, Yennefer, might be dead. Mm. Mute now if you don't want spoilers. <laughs> so she's not dead, because the whole point is that the three of them are cosmically entwined. Mm. But so Geralt is in love with Yennefer, but they're not together, because he made a wish, you'll like this bit, he made a wish to a djinn. Right. And so he had three wishes, and we don't know what he wished for with his third wish, but whatever it was, it saved her and him. She thinks it was that she would be in love with him. She thinks that was his wish, Mm. that she would be in love with him. So she doesn't know if her feelings for him are real or magic. Mm. And we don't know what he wished for. So we don't know either. Yeah. But he really loves her. (laughs) And he doesn't know she's alive this Mm. whole time. So this season, it was almost ridiculous because, like, you know, that trope where it's like someone almost gets a crucial bit of information and then they don't over and over and over. Yeah. So all the way through it, he's like, going about being a sad boy, grieving for this woman that he loves, that he thinks is dead. And all the time, like, there's a bit where another mage is, like, listing the dead of this battle that he thinks she died in. And he's like, stop! Because he doesn't want to hear her name. (laughs) And I'm like, but she's alive! (laughs) So that's, like, a great driver for the plot. I just think they did that so well, is, like, trying to get him to realise that she's not dead. Mm. Um, eventually then they do all get together and it's all very nice and they're this weird little family, which I love because another big thing about Yennefer is that she is barren. She gave up her fertility to become magic, Mm. Um, but she really wants a kid. She feels kind of cheated by the fact that she had to make this bargain. Yeah. So now we have Geralt who didn't want to be a father, <laughs> Ciri who has no parents, and Yennefer who desperately wants to be a mother, <laughs> mm. but hates Ciri like they don't oh. get on. Mm. And they're all just bumbling through this <laughs> like weird magical land of uprisings. I cannot express how immaculate the vibes are all the <laughs> way through. It's so good. And I feel like people that love... These all these silly tropes are missing out because they think it looks like a really serious fantasy and it's not. Mm. And that's that's just my main underlying point is that yeah, it's like well crafted television and I could go on and on about that all day. But these characters are so funny, and I just oh, I love them so much and I can't wait to see what happens next. And that's I'm gonna stop now. Yeah, are they doing a season three? They fucking better. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are. I think I think that they must surely, mm. but. They've basically, I think season three is set up, the way they've set it up is going to be like, now Yennefer's going to have to teach Ciri how to be magic. And they're both going to hate that. Mm. And that's going to be fun. (laughs) So, yeah. That was just a gush and I've needed to have it for a long time. (laughs) That's alright. Everyone always assumes that I would watch it, but I just, I don't know why I'm not interested. Maybe it's because I did get in, like, I, w- I did really like Game of Thrones, so maybe my, like, political fantasy, fantasy like, world has been satisfied for now. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that. I never watched Game of Thrones, so yeah. I had, and I always kind of wanted to, but by the time that I wanted to, it was too far in. Mm. And I was like, I can't be bothered to catch up with all this now. Mm. 
So maybe just because I've been in with the Witcher at the start, I'm like, Possibly. yes, I'm riding this train. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll watch it. <laughs> I think that it's definitely worth it. But I also totally get when people are like, nah. Mm. But yeah, it's just, it's delightful. So if anyone has watched it and they want to just share memes with yeah, me. please hit Rebecca <laughs> Please, so that I can stop talking about it to people who don't care. <laughs> What's your next thing? My next thing is my second graphic novel. Yay! It is Extraordinary by V.E. Schwab, which I've also brought, even though no one else can see it. I can see (laughs) it, and that's what's important. (laughs) So yeah, this is a graphic novel set between Vicious and Vengeful, the two novels currently out in V.E. Schwab's Villains series. I've talked about that a few times now (laughs) on the podcast, but that is her series about people with superpowers or extraordinaries or EOs and this is basically a little interlude between the novels and follows Charlotte who is a a new character, a teenager who is a new EO. Her power is that she can see people's deaths in reflective surfaces so like she can see how that person will die eventually. That's so cool. Yeah, it's very cool, but it's also obviously very traumatic. Um, And basically the plot here is that she sees in a mirror, so she's looking at herself, obviously, she sees Eli Ever, who's one of the biggest antagonists of the villain series, and she's like, well, this man's going to kill me, so I'm going to track him down and kill him instead, (laughs) because she's a little badass. I love it. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's just such a cool addition to this world, especially because so much of the villain series is inspired by the comic book world. So it's like a me- that's obviously a medium where superpowers really shine. So I like that it's like the characters kind of get like a bit of a homecoming to like mm. the medium that like inspired them. From. Yeah. It like honors their origins, I think. And yeah, that, to be honest, that's kind of all I have to say. It's just really, it's quite short and it's just fun. I wouldn't say I loved it, like, as much as the novels just because I love Schwab's, like, descriptive passages so much and you don't get that in a graphic novel, obviously. Mm. However, her talent for storytelling is, like, plastered all over this. Like, I don't know how, like, you read this and you're like, that sounds like V.E. Schwab, but there's no, like lengthy yeah. passages i'm like how did she do that that's magic <laughs> did she did she do the art or did someone else do that no art? the art is by enid balam and oh i can't pronounce these names jordi eskewin lorak i've probably said that wrong um but yeah it's just it's just very good uh there's also i don't know if this is in every edition but i've got like a short story that was in I think it was in the back of Vicious as well possibly but there's like a wee short story in the back of it like an actual long form Mm. prose prose one there so yeah I really recommend it if you like the villains world it probably would spoil it if you hadn't read Vicious but it doesn't spoil Vengeful so there you go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sounds really cool oh also there's so many like different covers like she came out with like like five different covers of it oh. so like depending on where you bought it obviously you got different ones so mine is the Waterstones edition I do like the colour of that yeah it's very nice yellow isn't it mm. 
It, I think it, it's signed as well. It looks like it would be, like it would go with, but it's a nice contrast to the villain's vengeful books. Yeah, definitely. And I also like, no one else will probably appreciate this, but the page that she signed is actual parchment. Ooh! <laughs> it's like a, t- like a parchment like tip-in. And it just pleases me. There you go. <laughs> Very nice. What is your second favourite? My second favourite is Spirited Away. Oh, yay! Yay! So you know how much I love this because we watched it together. Yeah. But I had never seen Spirited Away until this year. And I think that I forgot how much I love a story that asserts magical rules with absolutely no reasons. Yeah. And you just have to accept it. Mm-hmm love that tactic (laughs) that was the first time in ages that i could not have predicted at any point what was going to happen in the next five minutes of the film yeah the scene where chihiro who is the main character goes to the good witch zanira's house with Mm. her little group of spirits is my actual cottagecore dream yeah the fact that the lantern comes to fetch them (laughs) shows them the way and then just hangs itself back up yeah delighted me (laughs) um Oh, there's so many nice things. Like, the fact that, like, they have cake and there's a spinning wheel and she's a witch and then nothing bad happens. Yeah. I love that scene when No Face is, like, he's, like, cutting his little cake, like, very delicately. (laughs) It just amuses me so much. And the twist at the end, which I obviously won't say in case anyone's not seen it, but when you get to the bottom of the mystery of who Haku the boy dragon is Mm. it's just so satisfying and such good storytelling yeah that it makes it like it's got such a perfect balance between absolute randomness all the way through (laughs) but there is like a very clear story Mm -hmm. which obviously is what fables and stuff do anyway and it's all about spirits so I, i get that but yeah it was very sweet and very strange and I also found the main character's voice very satisfying because she's the same actress who voices Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. So that made me quite nostalgic. Mm. And that made me actually think about something else that I really like, but I'd never identified it before, which is an animated film or a game where all the character designs are absolutely whack and there's loads of them. <laughs> so like in Lilo and Stitch, you have all the different aliens and the experiments. I loved that as a kid. I used to draw them all all the time I just thought it was so cool <laughs> Pokemon I used to love Pokemon cards didn't love yeah. playing them just liked looking at them <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, or like all the original magical creatures in Harry Potter mm-hmm. that are like not the classic mythical ones yeah and then in Spirited Away I don't know I just I feel like it brought back so many things from my childhood that I liked that I forgot about yeah and so many animal like characters or like weird character designs now are exclusively cute and i like that in that film they were like some of them were like disgusting or scary yeah so yeah i just found the whole thing so pleasing (laughs) yeah i just loved like is it studio ghibli or studio ghibli i never remember what the right one is neither do i i always say ghibli but i feel like it's I think it might be Ghibli. I think it probably is. Anyway, them. <laughs> that studio. I just love them. I think Spirited Away is my favourite of their films. I've not seen many, but it it was very beautiful mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> nice. What is your next favourite? My next favourite is This Is Going To Hurt, Ooh. the BBC series based on Adam Kay's memoir, uh, This Is Going To Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor. 
first of all, I really recommend his book. Um, it is an amazing look at the NHS, um, our National Health Service in the UK. It's made up of his diary entries from when he was a doctor. And this series is a dramatic. I can't say that Dramatization. word. Dramatization. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of the memoir. It's got main character Adam, played by Ben Wishaw. The voice of Paddington Bear, so Aww. I love him. Um, first thing he says is like, fuck shit, <laughs> or like something. I'm like, oh, we're not in Paddington land anymore. <laughs> um, no marmalade sandwiches in this drama. No. Um, so essentially the show, which is only seven episodes, follows Adam on the obstetrician and gynecological ward, or brats and twats as he calls it. <laughs> Um, and within the first episode, because he's overworked and hasn't slept and there's understaffing, you know, etc, etc, there's a crisis where a mistake is made. And so the series is about Adam coping with that guilt and criticism. Um, it's also about how his work like affects his romantic relationships and just like other relationships. There are other plot lines and important characters, but like the main premise for the show is him just reeling from this like traumatic experience that like a patient had but also he kind of had because mm. you know it's messy so as someone who's read the book there's two things I really love about the series one is that it's nailed the tone the book and the show is incredibly funny like it's like laugh out loud funny but it's also filled with really harrowing moments because, you know, not every patient in a hospital survives. Mm-hmm. Although Adam Kay does say, I can't remember his exact phrasing, but it's like, when you work on this ward, at least most of the time you end up with more patients than you started with. Because oh. you're, you're birthing people. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the show kind of balances that. Um, it's got like the more humorous sort of like patients or situations that he's been in like the banter between colleagues there's loads of fourth wall breaking like asides to camera that just steal lines straight out of the book but it also has like the sadder moments both in the storyline and in just like pointing out a lot of the problems that the NHS faces because even though like the book in the show is about Adam's observations what it's really doing at the heart of it like the reason that he sort of published the book in the first place is to explain how important yet underfunded the NHS is Mm. and the other thing I really liked about the show is that it brings in other characters mainly a character called Shruti I don't want to say too much about her storyline because of spoilers but she's quite a new doctor she's quite young and so you get to see her perspective of starting her career in this system that's failing um, and I think the show could have felt too samey if it was only Adam's story the entire time. Because mm. that works in a memoir, because that's what you expect in a memoir. Yeah. But in a show, it's good to have like another perspective brought in. I just think they did it really well. So yeah, it's only seven episodes. It's on iPlayer, so I recommend watching it. That is all. <laughs> I will watch that, I think. I've ne- I still haven't read the book, but mm-hmm. it does appeal to me. It's just one yeah. of those ones I've not got around to. Yeah, no, I definitely recommend it nice and what's your next favorite my next favorite because it wouldn't be a season opener without one is a poem nice Uh, this is a poem from a book called mezzanines by matthew olsman that i've definitely quoted in infatuated before yeah um first of all i like mezzanines as a concept (laughs) much like wheelbarrows it is a design which delights me 
but there's also loads of poems from this book that I wanted to share. Mm-hmm. I picked this one because when I read it, I thought Emily will like that, and okay. the infatuated nerds will like this. <laughs> so let me find it. It's called Alternate Sources of Fuel. Like roaches, the books scatter to all corners of my friend's house. Originally quarantined in the study, they now scurry through the kitchen, make nests in the living room. Don't get me wrong, Dan says, I don't promote radical left-wing acts such as reading. However, if the whole grid goes down, I'll need something to burn to keep myself warm. Here's Whitman, chilling out on the coffee table, Plato lecturing the shot glasses on the liquor cabinet, Melville's white whale beached on the stairway. Dan is joking about setting books aflame, I think, though not entirely wrong in noting their potential as fuel. If you could trace my life backward from today, you'd arrive in a world that was colder and thinner. The younger version of me is a boy who speaks very little. He's in second grade. That kid is wary of the other kids, but drawn to the teacher. A woman who reads stories to the class to end every afternoon. Watch how she reads. What flies from those pages, if not some type of sparks? Aww. I liked that last line. Yeah, that's <laughs> I just, I think it's a very bookish poem, and I wanted yeah. to share it with you all. Oh, I liked that. Also, read Matthew Olsman, because he's amazing. <laughs> I've liked everything that you've read from him. Yeah, it's the one with the Trojan one yeah. as well. And he's, his one that's most famous is the Mountain Dew... Mm. Love is a Mount Dew commercial disguised as a love poem. Yeah. Um, which is ve- also very sweet. <laughs> but yeah, I don't have anything to say about that. I just liked it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next thing? My fourth, I think, quickfire favourite is that I recently got back into playing my Nintendo Switch. Mm. Um, I've had it for a couple of years now, but last year I didn't play it too much. But more recently, I've been picking it up and trying to complete Breath of the Wild, which is one of the newer Legend of Zelda games. I still haven't completed it. I basically only have the big bad to defeat, <laughs> but because I haven't played it properly in so long, I've like forgotten how to fight. <laughs> like I tried and I was like, oh, <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> retreat, retreat. Nope. <laughs> um, so instead, what I've been doing is like my favorite thing about the game anyway which is playing through all the side quests <laughs> until i like remember how to, how to do it. everything again so for anyone who doesn't know breath of the wild is one of those like open world games where you do have goals that you need to achieve there's like a storyline that you're following but you can just do it in your own time and you can just wander about um, and like most Zelda games you also have side quests and like riddles and like mini games along the way and I really enjoyed like turning the game on, doing a little side quest or like a wee mini game and feeling like the accomplishment of doing that and then like putting the game away. Mm. I don't know. I, f- I think it's like I'm trying to force myself to not try and like steamroll toward the end. And I'm trying to get like as much out of the game as I can, which I feel like I don't normally do. I normally try and just like beat the game. Yeah. But I'm like, no, I'm going to like enjoy this. <laughs> I'm gonna wander around <laughs> this mountain. Like it's very pandemic vibes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can't go anywhere. I'm gonna explore every inch of this fictional world. Exactly. I like make friends with the horses. <laughs> like 
It's also giving Zachary from Starless Sea. Yeah, yeah, that's very true, actually. Do you know what makes me sad in it, though, is that the wolves in it are evil. And I'm like, so every time you come across a wolf, they immediately try and attack you. So you have to, like, kill them to, or, like, hurt them to get them away. And they make that, like, horrible, like, puppy, like, oh, like yelp when Aww. you hurt them. And I'm like, I don't want to be doing this <laughs> every time. I'm like, please. We want to domesticate the puppies, <laughs> not fight them. But anyway. <laughs> I also thought I'd just say, like, as a side note, Breath of the Wild is, like, the most beautiful game in the world like it's just so pretty and it's so detailed and on the switch you have like a capture option like basically like a screenshot mm-hmm. option and my camera roll on that console is just like filled <laughs> with all these like landscape shots <laughs> like like oh look at that sunset or like oh a shooting star <laughs> i need to take a photo of it and then like the story in the game is fun you're playing as link obviously uh, Zelda's night and he's been asleep for the past hundred years after an event called the Calamity. I, I like love that. that it's called that. <laughs> like the big bad's called Calamity Ganon. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> wild, wild. So you basically you're like travelling through Hyrule to try and get Link's memory back. Oh, after, that's a nice like, parallel. <laughs> yeah. After like waking up and you're trying to find Zelda, who is still hundred years later trying to defeat Ganon. Yeah, it's just a really good game and my goal is to finish it before Breath of the Wild 2 comes out, but I don't know when that is so it's... I think it's soon. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, that's... So my favourite is like... It is Breath of the Wild, but it's more like how to play games in a chill way. Yeah. Is my (laughs) favourite. I like that. That's very nice. Thanks. And what's your favourite? I was going to say your last favourite, but it's not. It's not, no. <laughs> um, my next favourite, it's another rant about a show. Okay. And it's about Shit's Creek. Oh, yes. This fucking show should come <laughs> with a warning label, I swear. So, like, you know, I binged this in, like, a matter of weeks. Yeah. I had many reactions. <laughs> it's so funny. And, like, you're laughing, like, really, really laughing. And then in just one beat whether it's like a small change in someone's facial expression or like a silly wee comment, you're absolutely sobbing. That's what I keep hearing (laughs) from people I know who like it. It's insane. So, and it tracks, right? Because the premise of the show is like a super rich, super materialistic, superficial family lose everything and get stuck in this town and they are sending nowhere called Shit's Creek. Mm -hmm. And they are slowly learning to deepen their relationships uh, to the people and the town and each other. So, yeah, it reels you in with silliness and parody and then it surprises you with how tender and deep that it gets. But I think what I was blown away by was the talent, both acting and writing-wise, because it looks like an average ensemble sitcom. Mm. Like, I'd never been interested in it until I was like, I need a new half-hour show Yeah, in my life. Because obviously it's very memeable. Like, you've got the, ew, David, <laughs> sound <laughs> on TikTok, which is the sister Alexis. And you've got the Moira Rose memes, which is the mum, where it's like, let's go, I've had enough waking hours today. Yeah. Um, but the storytelling in the show is great too. Not just because all the main characters have really significant and well-drawn arcs, but because the side characters also have their own arcs. And they're all like the weird misfits of this weird town. Mm. So it's kind of like all the misfit characters of Gilmore Girls, mm. if they all had their fully-fledged storylines. That's cool. Yeah, it is. 
the costuming is something that I want to shout out in <laughs> Shit's Creek. First of all, all the outfits are just amazing. Mm. But I love the costuming because all the Rosies, who are the main family, wear exclusively black and white or shades of grey throughout all the first few seasons. They're very concerned with looking timeless and chic and couture, even though they're now poor. And most importantly, they don't want to look like they belong in Shit's Creek. And everyone there is obviously just wearing like jeans and flannels or like cheap blouses. But as the seasons go on, you start to see the change in their attitude through the change in their costume, which is something I love. So Alexis, who's the sister who I'd say adapts, maybe not the quickest, but like with the most heart, she mm-hmm. like gives her whole heart to this place. Mm-hmm. So she starts to wear gold, maybe some pale, pale pink. So it's like fairly neutral, but getting brighter. And then by the end, the season finale, she's like in full colour. Yeah. Um, David, who's the brother, he never gives up his monochrome style, but he does fall in love with someone who's the complete opposite. Mm. And what he do- what he gives up, which I think is really sweet, is his need to interior design the whole house. <laughs> and he like lets his partner have like a say in that. So yeah. you see like the two styles mesh together. Aww. Johnny Rose, the dad, he still always wears a suit and tie, but by the end he's like maybe got his jacket off and he's got his sleeves rolled up and mm-hmm. he'll have maybe like a red tie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Moira, the mum, is just always in the most insane outlandish clothes because she's an actress and she refuses to be anyone but herself. <laughs> but she shares them with all of her friends in the town Aww. by the end who don't want them and don't <laughs> suit them. But then you have all these women who are used to like shopping at the blouse barn, mm. going about in this like insane couture. <laughs> so I just think that the way that they've done the costumes, because it starts off so stark, is really, really well done. And yeah. I feel like, you, again, it's not something that you expect from an average sitcom. Yeah. Is to have that much thought in it. I love when like a show or a film tells like a story through clothes, clothes. or makeup. I know. Yeah. I want to talk about my favourite character for a minute, because... I love them all, but I have to talk about Alexis because she steals the scene every single time. <laughs> She's so good at doing the ditzy thing, but like, then that gets undercut because a running joke in the show is that she spent her teen years in her early 20s with all these different shady men, like jet-setting around the world, being mm. left in really dangerous situations, and then getting herself out of them. Mm. So I think what makes me adore her character is... Like, that starts off as, like, a running joke that all of the family will make. Or, like, the parents will be like, she'll say, like, oh, well, you know what, you don't believe I can do this, but I got myself out of, like, a Saudi prince's, <laughs> like, palace when he'd, like, trapped me with armed guards, so blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the parents will look a little bit shocked, but no one's really that surprised. By the end of the season, like, those jokes aren't funny to her anymore. And you start to see her be like, oh, that was not, Mm. that was not good. She stops, like, making jokes like that. And when other people make them, she's a bit like, yeah, but that wasn't ideal. (laughs) So, I don't know. I feel like that, again, it starts off so funny and then it gets so sad. Yeah. But yeah, we get to see her grow up and she, like, begins her own business and she walks away from people she knows aren't good for her. And I don't know. But I think... Rather than doing that in like a montage or like a big dramatic turning point, what's nice is that they do it gradually. Like she won't just randomly have a good relationship and that's it set. Yeah. She'll like go through different ones and same with like jobs. She has like a few different jobs throughout the series and 
even when she's not good at stuff though, she always thinks she's hot shit. <laughs> like even when she realizes that oh I fucked up there, she doesn't take it out on herself. So I think it's like nice because you get to see someone who's badass and confident, but also when she knows it's her fault, she apologizes and yeah. But she doesn't like self-flagellate mm. about it. She just is like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Mm. And a lot of the moments between her and her older brother David are so funny and sweet because she has to protect him a lot of the time and there is a kind of dynamic where they're like teenagers but then one of them will randomly comment she'll be like you're like 40 because he is (laughs) and he's like and she's like meant to be sort of late 20s early 30s Mm. (laughs) it's just funny to see this like really childish grown-up relationship and yeah I think my final point is that it is a family-led sitcom but it's not just always but despite all the bad stuff, they love each other deep down. All the way through it, they do actually like each other. Yeah. Like, they don't always know each other that well from the beginning because one of the points is that, like, they've always been jet-setting around different places. They've never spent time together as a family. Mm. But they're all really, like, into each other's successes and, mm. like, cheering each other on and they don't they don't ever tear each other down. And I just like a show where the characters are nice to each other. Yeah. Oh, so that's Shit's Creek. I really recommend it for anyone that needs a little lift. Cause oh, there's a very noisy dog. Um, <laughs> woof. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it cheered me a lot, and I think there's a lot that you can get out of it that mm. it doesn't look like on the surface. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hugely into sitcoms, but when it's been on, when I've been like in the room, like mm. I have been like, that's funny. <laughs> like I've laughed at it when I've like not even known the context. Yeah, so. it is funny. Yeah. It is ridiculous, but <laughs> yeah. it's not too slapstick. So like yeah, <laughs> you were your last quickfire favorite. Yes, my last pick is an album. It's Sacred Spaces by Simmel. It came out towards the end of 2021 and is a live album recorded at St. Mark's Cathedral, which I forgot to look up where that is, but it's in America somewhere. Nice. I think Simmel's mostly famous for his song Where's My Love. That's one that's like been used in TV shows and it's all over TikTok. Mm. And he did a cover of Mr. Sandman, which he's made into this really like haunting song, <laughs> which I've also seen around the internet quite a bit. It is very good. So the album has those two songs on it other like previously released songs of his maybe some new ones it's kind of hard to tell because he mostly has eps and Mm. i've not like listened to them all in one go so i've like forgotten what's on what there's also like some purely instrumental songs as well i really love his song i wanted to leave which is an instrumental piece and I suppose it kind of goes without saying, but because it's recorded live in a cathedral, like, the acoustics are so pretty. And his voice has, like, a slight echo to it that makes all the songs feel, like, even dreamier, mm. like, even more, like, haunting um, than they already are. I actually don't really have any lyrics that I particularly wanted to shout out. They are very beautiful, but to me, the album's more about, like, the sound and the atmosphere that he's created. I haven't looked into the background of it too much, but it's like undoubtedly a collection of songs about grief and loss. I think it's like a love that's been lost. Like the song Where's My Love is like cold sheets or Where's My Love or like cold bones, that's my love. And like, I'm just like, oh, oh dear. And yeah, I don't know how like religious Simmel is, but it feels very fitting to sing that whole album in 
a sacred space mm. um, which is obviously where the name comes from so yeah it's like a very lovely but very sad album but it's it's quite like chill like I've had it on when I'm reading a lot I actually think it's the only thing I listened to while I was reading Gallant by mm. V.E. Schwab so they're like connected now in my brain and <laughs> <laughs> um, there's definitely like some similar themes between the two so yeah I know I've maybe not like described it amazingly you just you have to listen to it is it like is it like orchestral or not is really it like no. piano-y or yeah, it's mostly like piano-y okay yeah but I'm it's intrigued. it's very very pretty <laughs> nice it sounds like it would be good ba- good bath music yeah it probably it probably would actually yeah yes uh what is your last favorite my last favorite is a kind of general one okay uh it is the unreleased songs of Maisie Peters Okay. I was kind of struggling to think of like a fifth specific thing uh, that had become a strong favourite for me over the break, but then I realised that this is something I've gone back to loads over the winter months. So on her Instagram and her TikTok, Maisie Peters has all these little snippets of unfinished or unreleased songs. Mm -hmm. She posted them mostly during lockdown, which like makes sense. But sometimes she uploads random ones because she's the queen of leaking her own music. Uh, She has a song called Girl's House and the meme that this has become among fans that she can literally post anything on the internet and the comment section will just be release girl's house (laughs) um but she still hasn't anyway the reason i like going back to these videos is that they're all dead rough they're all very much first drafts and although they're all sickeningly good it's nice to see the working process of a writer in real time because she does discard most of them and never records them but she does still post them yeah, and I think that that helps break down the idea that you're only your finished work, mm-hmm. or that only your most polished stuff is worth sharing. Yeah, because some of her lines are really, really good, but like maybe you know the melody's not the strongest, or maybe like the rest of the lines aren't that good, mm-hmm. but there's a banger in there. So I wanted to shout out one which was there was a time in 2020 when it snowed in London, and it lay. And I remember everyone freaking out. Obviously, we don't live in London. But I remember mm. all my friends in London freaking out because that never happens. Yeah. And so Maisie Peters wrote a song about it on the day that it happened. And it feels like a little snippet of history. Yeah. Like, one of the bits is, Oh, it snowed in London today. The closest thing I've seen all year to magic. Mile end graveyard so pretty it looked fake. Disbelief suspended with the traffic. And I thought it would be better with you here but God won't grant another wish, it's not my birthday. And though it didn't stick, I guess good things never do. I'm just glad it happened in the first place. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. And I just think disbelief suspended with the traffic Mm. is an amazing line. And like the whole bit about snow not sticking, I guess good things never do, I'm just glad it happened in the first place. Like, I don't know, I I like listening to that over and over because I think she'd never have written that if that hadn't happened that day. Yeah. And it's such an obvious, like, inspiration to art yeah, yeah. thing. But my favourite unreleased song lyrics... And I'll, if, May, if Maisie ever listens to this, please release this song. <laughs> um, it's an unreleased song where the caption is just, Rory Gilmore writing sad songs on her mandolin. <laughs> and the lyrics are, I want to be kissed in the car home, want to be the star girl of a Jess Mariano type of guy. Because my heart took a hard blow in 2020, but I think Jess Mariano could make it all all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think anyone who's a Gilmore Girls fan has to understand that. Yeah. 
So, and I think that if she released that, could you imagine the absolute, like, church-like devotion (laughs) that people would have to that song? Yeah. So anyway, I just like going back to those snippets, because like I say, they're a bit silly, and they're a bit off the cuff, and that Mm -hmm. makes me be like, oh, you're allowed to just write for no product. Yeah. That's fun. No, that is, I like that. And what is your last favourite? I've done my last favourite. I go first. You go first. <laughs> I'm real tired. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. No, that that's us. Is that us? <laughs> oh man, I was all geared up for <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, if you have any comments or questions, then our email is infatuatedpodcast at outlook.com. We also have social media, which is linked in the show notes along with everything we talked about today, including the Infatuated Mix, which has all the music we mention. Except the ones that are unreleased. Yes. <laughs> um, and please rate and review us on your podcast apps because that helps get the podcast out there. And this is going to be a really good season, so we really exactly. want to get it out there. I also want to say, because there's still time, <laughs> if you have any writing-related questions, please yeah. feel free to send them to us because we're looking to... That's what we're lacking, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the inspiration for this this season. So please tell us if there's anything you want to know about writing or reading or you could talk about uni again or yeah. just anything, anything at all like that. Like, we are people that do English. Ask us <laughs> questions about that. Yes. <laughs> cool. Right. Well, that was a fun beginning. Yep. <laughs> See y'all later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>